This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And Kara, this is Preet Bharara. Bharara? Bharara? What's his name? Preet? Bharara. Bharara. Oh, my God. He's joining Fox. He is. What do you think about it? Bahara. What I, am I talking about? Why am I? I oh, God. Bahara. Preet Bahara. <laughs> I think, what do I think, honestly? I uh, think there are a few people who have fallen further faster, as evidenced by he's now on Vox. Let no, me get this. No. Manhattan DA yeah. to a podcaster to Vox. Oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, something's gone wrong. What, what, why can't you look at it as we're building a powerhouse brand here? Huh? A powerhouse yeah, brand. That's what's going on. That's what's going on. But, that you know, guy Preet is seriously is, classing up the joint. He has heavy-duty brain. He's got a lot of no, brain matter going on. But but also, mm-hmm. just you can listen to his voice. Mm-hmm. And I can now say this, that he's joined the mm-hmm. illegitimate world of podcasting. Yeah. I think he would be a very gentle lover. <laughs> I imagine him, that voice, <laughs> after a bout of lovemaking saying... Honey, honey, let's. Okay. I'll make some hot pockets and break out the Lancer's wine. Right. I just think he'd be a very gentle lover. I'm not going to go into think, the history Kara? of some lawyers in New York, but there's quite a few that have issues. That guy's got a brain the he size is. of Vox. Yes. He's huge. I mean, he's seriously. Yeah. I don't know what we're paying him, yeah. but he basically classed up the joint. Classed That's up a big the joint. deal for us. Bankoff. We're gonna we're gonna be hanging with Preet quite a bit. He's coming on. I'm gonna bring him on next week, and you're gonna be your 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 best behavior. You can pro, you can. You can be nice to him when he comes on and discusses. Oh, no, no, no. I've already decided he and I are going to be very close friends. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. He and I are going to be very close good. friends. He's wonderful. He's really great. And he knows where all the bodies are buried. He's Mr. Legal Expert and all kinds of stuff. And he's actually, he's a really, he's a really, uh, he has many interests beyond just legal. I think he's really kind of enjoyed getting fired by Trump uh, because it's- Well, he made a career out of it. Well, yes, but he also is a very good legal person. Anyway, all right, listen. Well, the Southern District, I mean, that yes. actually the Southern District, if you could spack that thing. Yes, I know. That's you know, one of the best brands in the world. Did they the base world. the Billions guy on him? They may have. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Because you know what my other opening was going to be? No. I'm Scott Galloway, and I just matched on Tinder with the Queen of England. <laughs> Is it too early for her to date? Is it too soon? <laughs> Is it too soon? Is it too- Where did you, you know, I got to I got to be honest. Single. I got to be honest. Yeah. Older women love me. <laughs> <laughs> women my age and younger women want nothing to can do with the dog. Can you imagine if she like fell Older. in love with you? That's like a movie. Like she I, met you and fell in love. I can see it. And then you, I can see it. And then you could do an Oprah interview together. I'll tell you one thing though. That Prince Philip guy. Yeah. He's another hottie. Okay. That guy was hottie. Right. We're going to move on. That now. guy was hot. <laughs> okay. Do you see that guy in a hot. kilt? I do. That guy I was did. a tall drink of lemonade. Okay. 
And he was a class act. Rest in peace. Not every time. He had some he had some missteps. Mm, look at his crazy. life as a movie. Don't focus in on the few the few frames that weren't great. That, that yeah, guy was a class act. Quite a act. few of those frames. Anyway, it's fine. You know what? Rest in peace, Prince Philip. Call me. Okay. Queen of England, call me. Okay. Microsoft is acquiring speech recognition firm called Good Nuance. Good segue. I don't know how to segue from that, from that statement. But nonetheless, they bought a $16 billion <laughs> deal and like nobody's paying attention. Everyone's like focused on like whether you understand this? Good what is going on? Or not. Uh, I, healthcare, healthcare, cloud products mm. for healthcare. Well, thanks for that thoughtful okay. analysis well, of the situation. Well, they're all getting into the big businesses of healthcare. It's speech <laughs> Just recognition. Just say cloud and healthcare. So people we would can't call Nuance is a speech recognition. It's a long time right. speech recognition company. So it's like I'm feeling sick or tone of voice or things like that. That's it's really going to be important. It, telehealth is a big deal, even though my brother mm-hmm. gets all mad about it. Telehealth is a big deal. And how it's not going to be doctors, it's going to be more computerized. It's 100% the way it's going to be. So pre-pandemic, yeah. what percentage of visits were um, Ooh, virtual? Oh, do you have statistics? I do. Okay, then give them to me. Well, guess. What percent of of doctor's visits were virtual pre-pandemic? Huh. Between, I have no fucking idea and I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> what? What? Correct. Right. Okay, um, what is it? Uh, 0.8% okay. of visits were virtual. Do you know what they were uh, during the pandemic? What? 30%. Wow. And so this is, I mean, again, largest, uh, uh, I always get hit hard. People say it's yeah. not a consumer industry, but I would argue the largest encapsulated industry in the world, U.S. Mm-hmm. healthcare, is right. we've never seen a channel shift like that. I don't right. think in any, uh, I mean, okay, so theaters went from $5 billion a year to zero, but that's $5 billion. 30% of healthcare is arguably, you figure two-thirds of the $3 trillion are services that can be done outside of a doctor's office. So the potential market is two. Two trillion. So you had what was effectively a six hundred billion dollar transition in channels. I mean, that's we've never seen anything like that. I that's, know. That's that's it's going to be a big deal. So this is this is everyone's got to get their tech going correctly, yeah. not just their their uh, you know following HIPAA laws, but under how tech is going to work and how people are going to do this. And so there's going to be a couple players: Amazon, Microsoft, yeah. Google has tried and is is yeah. not as aggressive in this area now, um, and Apple. Microsoft, what will be interesting is, Amazon. Right. So Siri, Siri was this failed thing sitting on top of yeah. an iPhone. I wonder if they'll incorporate voice. I, I said a few years ago, I thought wearables, AR, 3D yeah. printing were all stupid, virtual no. reality. And, uh, but the technology I've always been bullish on that I thought was the most important technology in the next 10 voice. years was voice. Yeah. And I wonder if they're going to incorporate this into Office and they'll have niche, uh, like office for hospitals or office mm-hmm. for healthcare, and they'll incorporate it into, because um, that to me seems like, you know, Microsoft offices are kind of their iPhone. Yeah. And I wonder if they're going to oh, build around that. Say that again. That was really smart. Well, <laughs> well, I'll say it in a deep Glaswegian voice. Um, <laughs> it was, um, uh, yeah, I think office is there. All these guys have kind of one thing that that is their gangster move. Amazon, it's Prime. Apple's the iPhone. And I think, obviously, Microsoft Office is the strongest recurring revenue relationship in the history of business. Right. All right. So Nuance calls itself conversational AI, just remember. So it's voice, you know, it's not just healthcare, but it's financial services too. But healthcare is where it's really done deeply. It's been building deep domain experience in that area. So it's clearly a move in that direction is this idea of, um, you know, giving more tools for its customers. 100%. Mm -hmm. It's a great, once again, Satya Nadella, very smart. He's a very canny man, I have to say. 
and, and, County. And, and Microsoft's been in speech systems for years. A hundred years ago, there was another one, Dragon Systems. They have been, they had Cortana, if you remember, um, mm-hmm. all kinds of things. So it's not an area they don't know about, um, but I think it's just tech applications and healthcare is going to be a big, big business, and especially artificial intelligence. Thank you. That is my speech. Yeah, yeah, you really went out on a limb there. Uh, oh, I'm just saying. I think it's, it's, a, it's very profound what they're doing here. They're making smart – they're buying smart things. They're buying smart things that fit in nicely with their stuff. Now, Netflix, interesting, will be the first U.S. streaming home for Sony Pictures theatrical releases. This is now a big shift by these big uh, studios. But meanwhile, Warner Brothers CEO Jason Miller says starting this next year, the company's biggest movies will debut in theaters – before moving to the streaming service, I think they're going to move very fast to the streaming service, though. So it's sort of a little pap to the filmmakers for four seconds, but it's not going to be any 90-day kind of window. Yeah, they look, it, I just watched, have you, I just watched, I was forced to watch. I had a bro night with my 10 and 13-year-old mm-hmm. um, boys King on Kong. Friday night. Yeah, and I said, what do you want to watch? And of yeah. course, it was Godzilla and King Kong. And I it's had to do that like, last weekend. Oh, my God. It's like, the, it's literally... Why would they even make a different movie? It's the same goddamn movie the first time. <laughs> you know what, it's Eli, the same plot Eli line. Patel said it's the it's the most intense movie about wireless charging he's ever seen. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I don't, it's like they say, okay, how do we spend a quarter of a billion dollars such that we can justify people having to take their son? I, I, just, I literally don't get the, I the, the, that movie I making have, genre. I, you know, I liked it a lot better than I thought. That's what um, I would say about it. But we saw it. The, there is a class of movies, the kind of blockbuster, basically movies that appeal to 15-year-old boys that can stop, do do a drive-by to this dying complex called the movie theater and pick up a half a billion to a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it's like, it's kind of, it reminds me of the office argument. The fastest way to process information is binary, either yeah. zero or ones. And we want to categorize everything as we're all going to go back to the office or yeah. none of us are. Yeah. And the reality is 98% of companies are going to be somewhere between. And what you're going to see in movies is that you will still have first-run movies that stop by the movie theater for a four to 12-week window. But the world has shifted dramatically, and you're going to see a lot more films. The power has ceded dramatically to the streamers. You're going to see a lot more films go straight to. um, Well, I watched Thunder Force this weekend, which is Michelle, uh, which is um, uh, Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer, which was clearly for the. It was a, it was a, it was a kind of a a satiric, a superhero movie essentially Mm -hmm. of buddies, and I know it. You could. It felt like one of those movies that Melissa McCarthy does. It just goes out and moves around and does okay. And it was fine. It was exactly where I wanted to see it on my screen. Well, yeah, that's the equivalent of straight to video for the yeah. digital age. But it wasn't straight to video. It's a little better than that. Like yeah. you know what I mean. Like they weren't. So I just think this is just inevitable. And this is just a this, the move. The move to the theaters is only for bi- very big films like the next Black Panther or whatever, mm-hmm. which you do want to see in that way. But most of these movies not, do much better. Whether they go to Netflix, that Sony Pictures is doing, everyone sees the writing on the wall of this is yeah, going. I think that's right. Anyway, Scott, you're on the cover of New York Magazine this week. Hello. Tell us more. Well, finally, New York Magazine has decided to do their own Sexiest Man Alive 2021. <laughs> they did not. It was, it was a toss-up between me and George Clooney okay. and Michael Jordan. Uh, no, I'm talking about, by the way, if I were the Sexiest Man Alive, would I, be, would I be like Johnny Depp or Brad Pitt or George Clooney and go on to win it twice and be worth hundreds of no. millions of dollars? Oh, you know who I'd be the Sexiest Man Alive oh. of people? Oh. Nick Nolte. Like, somewhat talented, but probably should have never been on the cover and mm. has some serious fucking demons to deal with. I am the Nick Nolte of New York Magazine. Okay. Anyway, 
Anyway, what's anyway. the thing about? We got to get to big stories. What is the thing? I'm about? sorry. What is the piece? I haven't eaten. I'm like literally I, hallucinating right now. I see that you did right CrossFit now. and haven't eaten, but I had a lovely lunch, a very healthy um, yeah, So we talk about, I'm fascinated by the idea of volatility. Yep. And that volatility's embrace is directly correlated to how shitty your life is. And oh. essentially, I think America is breaking down because for the first time in our nation's history over an extended period of time, a 30-year-old's life is shittier than his or her parents was at 30. And huh. I think that is the root or the incendiary underneath uh, the Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, the GameStop movement, these mass shootings. Oh. I think it makes everything worse. Volatility. And what happens if you're in a supermax prison, uh, life sentence, you want volatility. You want you would you would opt for a nuclear strike on your city if you're sitting in isolation in mm-hmm. supermax. And when your your expectations and your desires and your hopes for a better future go down, you want volatility. And so we're embracing cryptocurrencies. We're embracing uh, mob squeezes in the stock market. We're embracing, to a lesser extent, but we're embracing conspiracy theories because volatility, all we have done, all we have done the last 20 years Mm -hmm. is the shareholder class that speaks to their senator on average once a month uh, and that controls and has weaponized the government, all they have done is effectively tried to suppress volatility. So in 2008, there was almost a financial crisis. So we spent $700 billion to make sure that we didn't go into depression. But baby boomers have now decided they not only won't tolerate a depression, they won't tolerate a recession. Mm -hmm. So we have issued $6 trillion in stimulus to make sure that there's this champagne and cocaine party keeps going, even if the hangover is going to get much, much fucking worse. And so we have this massive suppression and volatility. And unless you let the gale forces of creative disruption uh, uh, blow, Mm -hmm. young people never get a shot. So what we want to do is keep existing businesses in business owned by baby boomers such that young people can't come in and release that restaurant for 50 cents in the dollar. Right, which we talk about here. This is something. So you brought together in this piece. This is It's called the Unified Monetary Theory of Beeple and Biden. And it's got all kinds of good art, Scott. I just got to tell you. It's a very sexy looking story. Yeah, it's um, I'm already it's already uh, getting some heat, which I'm excited about. Good. And uh, uh, even even one of my colleagues at NYU said it wasn't awful. That's what he wrote. <laughs> it, this isn't awful for you. <laughs> he wrote for you. Um, oh my god, that's so funny. But yeah, I think there's something here. I think that if we're not careful, whether it's your ability, um, it, your any, it, it all comes down to this one thing: the general compact in our society has to be that our 30-year-olds do as well as we did at 30. And if that's not working, full stop, you know, don't pass go. How do we have uh, more protection of people on low cluster wages and minimum wage? How do we have vocational Mm -hmm. on-ramps for the two-thirds of young people that don't get a college degree? How do we transfer wealth back to renters from homeowners and get rid of this ridiculous mortgage interest rate cap uh, uh, tax deduction? How do we help people who are make money through their salary, i.e. younger people, by not charging lower taxes on current income versus investment income. We need a serious retransfer. And it's not. It's no longer about uh, doing the right thing. It's about self-preservation. Because at yeah. some point, when the bottom 40% of America and young people see the two men are worth more than they are, they will mm-hmm. figure out a way to take their wealth away. That is yeah. the basis of economic history. At some point, when the bottom half figures out the fastest way to double our wealth is through volatility, whether yep. it's violence, Trouble. under the auspices of another worthwhile movement, whatever it might be, under the auspices of going on Reddit, the hostility, the justified hostility is created a desire for volatility because our government won't let the markets be volatile on their own. All right. Okay. All right. Everybody read it.
Scott on volatility. What a shock. Anyway, it's, it's an excellent article, actually. The really. Queen it's of England bad. and I are It's dating. not as bad as it could have been. It's, what does he say? <laughs> it was less odd. They're like, hey, my professor said, like, I never hear from this guy. And he's, he's kind of my rock star idol. And it's like, yeah. this wasn't awful for you. This Okay, this was not awful for you. This was not was awful excellent. for you. All right, big stories. We're going to big stories. Amazon Workers in Alabama Warehouse have voted against unionizing. This was one of the biggest efforts in organized labor movement in Amazon's history. Workers cast nearly 1,800 votes against a union, giving Amazon enough to defeat the effort. Ballots in favor of the union were fewer than 30% of the votes tally. Now, it wasn't it wasn't all the people there. I think about half, a little bit more than half uh, voted. It's a, it seems like a small loss, but this is the biggest movement to unionize at Amazon, garnering interest all the way up to President Biden. But Amazon has gone on an aggressive campaign to squash the efforts, arguing its workers have access to rewarding jobs without needing, uh, involving a union. Amazon has uh, 1.3 million people now. It's hired about a half a million in the past year yeah. and now has the freedom to handle those employees by its own will. What do you think? What do you think? You said this. You said this. This is your correct uh, prediction. Yeah, this is, look, this is a big deal. Um, and what you have is an organization that's the second largest employer and the only organization in the history of the United States to hire a half a million people, maybe even the world in, in just 12 months. Right. So arguably it represents, there's always a, there's always a tension between capital and labor. So Amazon is capital. Uh, labor, there's real issues here. There's a lot of stories coming out of the warehouses, essential workers. This has literally put on stage, you know, the, 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 the biggest issues around the tension between capital and labor and in between the role that unions play. And yeah. by a vote of two to one uh, from workers in Bessemer, the, the crisp answer is they don't play a role. This is, I think this is basically, it's that notion of how do, how did I go bankrupt uh, slowly and then suddenly? We're in mm-hmm. the suddenly phase for unions. Hmm. This is, I think, a, I mean, keep in mind, in almost any vote, you know, you win by a, f- a few points. Yep. They got the shit kicked out of them. They did. Let me just, let me just push back on something. I think in yep. other parts of the country, it's going to be different. I think in, hmm. in, in uh, New York, there's going to, they're going to start organizing in New York at JF, near JFK. Um, Queens, biggest it, union town in America. Yeah. That's what I mean. I think it's going to mm-hmm. be different everywhere. I don't, this is by no means over for. for oh, I'm sorry. Um, that's LaGuardia. Queens is, wait, is, is <laughs> JFK. Anyways. Sorry, anyway. Go ahead. Go ahead um, this is going to be a long-term effort by the unions in other parts of the country. This is not the most, this is not the most perfect. Like you said, you, people had been uh, elevated through Amazon, through these parts of the country. Other Mm -hmm. parts of the country are much more union oriented and don't, and Mm -hmm. have more things. So I think it's going to just continue these skirmishes all over the country for Amazon. This is going to be their number one issue besides the marketplace issue that they have. I think that Mm -hmm. is a a significant problem. This is going to be their issue going forward, uh, just like it is for anyone who has You know, it was my like eye-opening move. So I I have a long, I don't know, history with unions. I was a 16-year-old box boy and then a box boy my freshman year at UCLA. And the reason I was able to pay for my fraternity bill and my tuition Mm -hmm. is because a union made sure that a box boy at San Vicente Foods made $8.50 an hour instead of $4. And it was life-changing for me. It meant I could afford to go to UCLA. And by the way, San Vicente Foods did just fine overcharging for, you know, overcharging for food to sell to people in Brentwood. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've always had a very strong connection to unions. And But at the same time, I remember when I went on the board of the New York Times, I thought, gosh, these have got to be the most pro-union people in the world. And it became, a, it became apparent in about a hot minute that the shareholders, the board, the controlling family had nothing but contempt 
for the union. Mm -hmm. Nothing but contempt. And I thought, well, what's wrong here? And the reality is unions have done a terrible job managing their brand among the public. Yeah, and I no, would agree with that. And no 25-year-old who has their shit together comes home and says, Mom, Dad, great news. I'm going to work for the union. They've just managed their brand terribly. Yeah. There's a, they, the brand means has these terrible associations of corruption, of, of not upskilling the workers at the same pace. They try and leverage uh, situations to increase their compensation through, through exogenous situations as opposed to the upskilling corruption. their members. The so I just, look, uh, and the I mom. almost worry. I worry that unions give us cold comfort. We need other, we need, anti, we need antitrust. We need minimum wage. Well, uh, unions else, aren't doing their job. How do unions get organized going forward to appeal to young people where, where it would work in Bessemer? I'm not so sure it would work in Good Bessemer. Good luck with that. Good luck I know, with that. but th there's there's ways to do it. They do it in other parts of the world where unionization is much healthier. I think that brand has the same resonance with young people as Sears and Blockbuster okay. at this point. All right, but I do still think employee initiatives are not going away for Amazon. They have too many people working oh, agreed. for them. Oh, agreed. I just yeah, agreed. it is a it is a big vulnerability for them and also an asset. And now they could also lead the lobbying on minimum wage, getting it up to fifteen dollars. Um, they could lead on all kinds of health benefits. And as you said, instead of tweeting of not things, they could just be a leader in this area. Take a take a take a okay, but here's the problem. take a negative and turn it into a positive for themselves. I agree. I I I think they will they will they will lip sync to increasing the minimum wage, yeah. but there are no union dues involved in minimum wage. Yeah. And so I don't think they're gonna be a warrior for minimum wage. And I think I also think the biggest hit to unions that's happened in the last decade. I'm talking about Amazon, but go ahead. Yeah. Is unfairly or fairly they were seen as trying to exploit the pandemic to increase the compensation of their teachers instead of putting yeah, kids first. Yeah, that's a, that's a broken relationship. And I think that that just, if you're a parent and you hear from a union that we're not sending our teachers back who average age, primary school teachers, average age is 33. I mean, I, they're not exactly a vulnerable group. Mm -hmm. uh, I, thought, I thought unions really handled that poorly. Yeah. Real and and it's hard to categorize. It's hard to generalize and stereotype unions because there's just you know there's several hundred and some yeah. are outstanding and some are corrupt. But I think I literally think this was a seminal moment. I think this was not, I don't want to call it the last nail in the coffin of unions, but this is turn out the. I think the fat lady is on the stage here for unions, and I think it's an opportunity for them. It's good to lose. It's good. They've to been lose losing badly. a lot. They've had a lot of good the last it. thirty years. I got it. But there's a way to win. There's a way to have a winning. The argument to workers. Look who's taken workers' rights. It's the Republicans with populism. You know what I mean? Like there's an opportunity to win back. I, it was interesting that I don't think Biden lost anything by doing this, saying he's for the workers. So oh, was, no doubt, no downside. But why no isn't downside. why isn't the United States Senate the strongest union in the world representing all workers? That's what I understand. I yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway. Well, interesting. It's a big win for Amazon. I don't think it's over. Scott uh, does think it's over. So for unions, I don't think it's over by any stretch. Um, I think they'll double down in lot in, in areas that can You're kissing the ass of your master's in fine arts book no. club. <laughs> I know how smart you are. No, I'm not. I was in a union. I was in a newspaper union once. I'm not anymore. Mm, I'm still in a union. Are you? Yeah, <laughs> UFW for uh, my classification at uh, at Stern. Oh. Yeah. What is the UFW? Uh, no, I'm sorry, the UAW. The yeah. United, somehow United Auto Workers ended up representing a certain classification of academics or professors at Whoa. Stern, and I pay dues, or I used to pay dues. Wow. Um, I think I'm in SAG because I was on Bill Maher once. You might be in SAG. I think there was, they like enter you into something hmm. where you can join SAG. I, I guess I've been on a bunch of TV stuff, but otherwise, I'm not, I don't, I don't believe I'm in any unions. 
Um, and I have mixed feelings on them, and, but mostly positive if they're done correctly. All right, Scott, let's go Kara. on a quick break. And we'll be back to talk about Alibaba's first big antitrust fine in China and have a friend of Pivot, best-selling author Walter Isaacson. Canva presents Unexplained Appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on-brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. We are back. Let's talk about Alibaba's first major antitrust fine in China. Over the weekend, Chinese regulators hit the Asian e-commerce giant with a $2.8 billion antitrust fine. Its officials said Alibaba had broken the country's anti-monopoly law by preventing merchants from selling their goods on other shopping platforms. To put into context, uh, Alibaba reported profits of more than $12 billion in the last three months of 2020 alone. Then the Ant Group, an affiliate a financial affiliate behind Alibaba, announced a sweeping overhaul of its business in response to demands from Chinese government uh, as part of a rectification plan, which sounds scary for in a communist country. The, the company said it would apply uh, to set up as a financial holding company, which would bring closer supervision and requirements. Ant also said it would change the way it collects and uses personal information to improve data security and prevent abuse. The company says it will improve corporate governance better adhere to rules about fair competition. Gosh, sounds like things would maybe we should do in this country, but uh, China just decided it. Tell, I, I don't know, you know, there's stuff behind the behind the scenes stuff here, mm -hmm. but interesting moves. What do you think? Well, we did did do this in this country, and that mm -hmm. is, we find the F, the FTC fined Facebook five billion in July of nineteen. Mm -hmm. It was the largest in history, uh, and distinct to the fact it was barely. And this is the scale of things now. Uh, the previous biggest fine was twenty two million. Mm -hmm. So this, you know, this was literally. 500 times the size, but it was less yeah. than 1% of Facebook's market cap. And the yeah. stock went up 3% the day, the, the day they announced and the fine because the market hates. Yeah. Did you see what happened to Alibaba stock today? Up. 8%. Yeah, there you go. So we've been to this movie before. And quite frankly, if I were, and I'm thinking about this, I don't, you know, I only like to buy stocks I'm going to own, at least think I'm going to own for five years. Yeah. Alibaba is going to, I think, I think similar to Facebook the year after uh, the year after um, uh, they they cleared up this insecurity, the market hates unknowns. I think this thing is up 20 to 30% by the end of the year. If you look at it right now, it's trading at a multiple of earnings that looks like a meddling internet company in the U.S. It's mm -hmm. I think Alibaba, yeah, relative to its performance right now, is the cheapest internet stock I do think in the people world. are nervous about what China could do at any one time. I think that's the, and more effectively than antitrust people here or, you know, how slow we move around these things. I don't. I see. I would argue that that's a bit of a American view. I would argue we're more volatile mm -hmm. and have our head way up more, our, our ass much more. Other than being, you know, a communist autocracy, and I'll, I'll give you that we have a better system as it relates to the internet and antitrust. They've we've got nothing on them, nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Ant is a juggernaut. Alibaba. Everybody. 
We're so, and I'm guilty of this, we're so narcissistic. We think that all innovation takes place within a seven-mile radius of SFO. Alibaba is more innovative than any uh, uh, finance, mm-hmm. uh, delivery, grocery, payments. They are everywhere. Uh, They're e-commerce. all internet companies working <laughs> I mean, together in one. Cloud. It's just like they kind of dominate. And Jack outs- Ma is a fascinating character. And if they've managed to put this behind them and Jack Ma mm-hmm. doesn't end up behind bars and there's some, there's some what I'll call greenfield where they say, okay, we put this behind us. That stock goes to multiple of revenues versus multiple of EBITDA. Mm-hmm. So I'm just very bullish on Alibaba. And we've been to this movie before. Once yep. the, 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 the quote unquote fine is put behind them, the stock, the stock tends to trend up. So yep. uh, this is a big story. They've come to an understanding, the government and Alibaba, That's right. I suspect. Including, you know, and it's also just the ownership of these Chinese companies. There's a lot of data leakage going back and forth between the government and the and the um, companies. But it's interesting that, that that the Chinese government got made a made a. Uh, they're making a statement here by controlling Ma in some way. Well, the government is supposed to regulate these guys when they get too big. Um, mm-hmm. But this was this was an equivalent, what I'll call slap on the wrist. Mm-hmm. This they their stocks up eight percent today. Yeah. So yep. what is a fine supposed to do? You know, you yep. don't when you get a parking ticket, you don't come home and celebrate. Or you, yep. when you get a speeding ticket, you don't come home and go. We just got richer, everybody. I got a parking ticket. But when yep. you find a big tech company, you come home and they're richer. Uh, they're yep. wealthier. So yeah, I think this is. I, look, I think this is really interesting, and Alibaba is a juggernaut. It, in my yeah. view, Alibaba is the least, the best value internet stock in the world. By the way, Charlie Munger made his first public stock purchase in seven years today, or Friday. Alibaba. Alibaba. Yeah, I would agree. He's quite a character, Jack Ma. Maybe we'll get him to come over to the U.S. and talk to us about things. I like code. that. Yeah, he was wonderful. At code, he talked so fast. Nobody. Could, it was. He was so excited about all the various things he had. Uh, done, and he—he's really quite a—he's a fascinating character. Um, Can we and, leak the panel you suggested at the beginning of the call? Uh, no, we haven't asked yet. Oh come on! Asked. No, come on! Let's let's just say the name of it. Rub the Scott, dog's belly. No, let's no, we gotta him. ask. We gotta ask and find out. Yeah, Scott wants to do a panel so at Code, good. which is coming at the end of I'll, September. Can I give the title the of the panel? Yeah, aggrieved white males. Yeah, you can. Oh, guess. it's gonna be the best. I'm going to see what I can do. I'm going to see what I can There's do. There's a lot of us out there. You I picked two that. great ones other than me. Uh, okay. This I is can, so there's good. Plenty. There's plenty so of good. those people. All right. So let's good. bring on a friend of Pivot. Walter Isaacson, someone I've known forever, is the author of a new book called Codebreaker. He's also the best-selling author of so many things, including the book Steve Jobs. And Walter, welcome. I don't. I, I feel like you've got so many things behind your name that I don't know which one to pick. But we've known each other for decades, I guess. I think friend of Kara is probably <laughs> the most important, and somebody who, Charmer. when I go to the gym, <laughs> listens to both of you Charmer. all the time. Go all on. right, oh, very nice, Walter. <laughs> so Walter's from the South, so this is this is his. Yeah. his a uh, very uh, polite way of saying such nice things about us. Anyway, let's talk about you and this new book. Um, and I do want to get back to sort of where we are with Apple at some point at the end, since uh, you wrote that massive book on Steve Jobs. Um, so tell us about Jennifer Doudna. Uh, I did an interview with her also on Sway, but talk about why you chose her as a subject and where does she fit into the other narratives you've written? 
You and I uh, grew up in the digital revolution, you know, with mm-hmm. the Steve Jobs and the Bill Gates, and it produced amazing things. It brought, you know, microchips into our homes with our mm-hmm. personal computers, and uh, iPhones became platforms. And I thought that's totally transformative. Mm-hmm. But as I'm looking uh, at the beginning of the 21st century, starting with the sequencing of the human genome, and of course, climaxing with gene editing tools, and for that matter, RNA vaccines that we can program. I realize that, you know, molecules are the new microchip and the Mm -hmm. first half of this century will truly be a biotech revolution, just like you and I lived through the digital revolution. Mm -hmm. And Jennifer Doudna is this, as you know, because I've heard Mm -hmm. her on your podcast, but also I've spent the past four or five years hanging out with her, is a perfect entree into that because she discovers the structure of RNA just the way Watson and Crick helped discover with Rosalind Franklin that of DNA. And she and her advisor figure out how RNA can replicate and be the source of life on this planet, then how it can be a guide for gene editing tools. And now we're using it as a messenger to create uh, Mm -hmm. vaccines. mRNA, messenger RNA. Messenger RNA to create Mm -hmm. vaccines. And of course, she's thrown herself into the moral and ethical issues. So there's a lot of colorful characters in my book, but like any writer, it's good to have a central character that I can hold their hand and the reader can hold our hands and we go step by step through and a journey of discovery. Right. Scott's going to get going to have a question, but can you generally explain CRISPR for those who don't know what it is, just very briefly? Yeah, it's simple. It's a something bacteria have been doing for a billion years. They have clustered repeated sequences known as hmm. CRISPRs in their genetic material that takes mug shots of any virus that attacks it. So if the virus attacks again, they cut it up using mm-hmm. a guide RNA. Uh, and that's pretty useful in this day and age of us getting attacked by viruses. What Jennifer Doudna and Emmanuel Sharp and Jay and others discovered mm-hmm. was a way to repurpose this, to recode that guide so it would cut our own DNA mm-hmm. at a targeted spot. So we could say, cut out this genetic flaw or cut out this gene or fix this. And so they repurposed the CRISPR system of bacteria to be a gene editing tool for us. Scott? So in any exciting technology that hits sort of this parabolic uh, increase or in outcomes, there's externalities. And when you, obviously you really got to know this field, what do you see as the two or three biggest uh, risks we face uh, with this explosion or this, you know, um, envisioned explosive, uh, explosion in biotech, if you will? I think that first we should say it's going to be a godsend in so many ways. Mm-hmm. People who are blind, who have sickle cell anemia, mm-hmm. Huntington's, Tay-Sachs, yeah, cancer, yep. all these things are going to fix. Having said that, the two biggest things I worry about are, A, if it's this sort of genetic supermarket isn't free, and it won't be, mm-hmm. the rich could buy better genes, And we could exacerbate the inequality we have in our society, not Mm -hmm. just exacerbate it, but encode it into our species the way in Brave New World. Meaning they don't get sick or they don't get. Or they have children that are six inches taller than the rest Mm -hmm. of them. Or they decide, with all due respect to Scott, that I want a full head of blonde hair for my, you know, and I, I don't, you know, and they edit their own children and they buy better genes for their children. Mm-hmm. And eventually it could even be things like memory or intelligence or height or muscle mass or eye color or anything. Secondly, I think if we let this just be a free market 
thing that it could end up being what I would call a free market's eugenics. Mm-hmm. Now, eugenics, we think about the Nazis or even Cold Spring Harbor in the early mm-hmm. days of the United States 20th century, where the government mandates certain master race things. Right. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about individual choices where people edit out the diversity of our species. Behind me, you can see on your little squadcast mm-hmm. thing, you know, these big doors behind me that open to a balcony on Royal Street. Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. walking with your two sons. They were visiting mm-hmm. once. Well, and Royal Street is filled with all sorts of characters, short and tall and fat and skinny and Creole mm-hmm. colored and black and white and gay and straight and trans and deaf and hearing enabled. And that's what makes our species so cool and so mm-hmm. great and creative and resilient. Right. And if we allow people to say, I want to edit out anything that's, I call mm-hmm. a deviation from typical, mm-hmm. that's a bad thing too. Depending Reverence. on what typical is. Correct. But are we? Right. I go, use go typical because whenever I use normal, people yeah. say, well, that's a normative term. So I'm trying right. to figure out typical for me on height is say whatever I am, you know, Tall. five foot seven. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, and if somebody's being born at four foot six, you might say, if that's a genetic condition, we should fix it, mm-hmm. and they can be typical species height. Mm-hmm. But if somebody's going to be born like I am at five foot seven, then that's an enhancement. If you give me another eight inches, you would that's- correct. That's it's your genes. You. This is not to for existing people. It's your children. Right. 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 Although even. Um, with muscle mass, mm-hmm. that can be regulated. We have myostatin. That's a genetically mm-hmm. controlled uh, in our body. Mm-hmm. And in theory, you could, especially in younger children, have greater muscle mass. But what height is, is something you probably, uh, yeah. Uh, no, no, I, I, well, I won't go into your Twitter feed, but I know that oh, Scott God. doesn't need more muscle <laughs> mass. Even Walter Every- Isaacson is mocking you know- me. Just by the way, Walter, when I read your stuff, you definitely sound five foot eight. Just so you know. (laughs) Thank you. Five foot seven. Just so you know. Yeah, you're taller than you look on a podcast. That's a nice thing to say. Go ahead, Scott. Go ahead, Scott. Well, just around uh, the the fears around income inequality, are we already there? Zolgesma is this drug, a knockout drug for muscular atrophy that basically cures an incurable disease, but you need $2.1 million for two doses. And I just got a. GoFundMe for it from a couple in Holland trying to raise money for their daughter. Uh, and I don't think they're going to make it. And I think the kid's going to die. I mean, are we already I'm there? I'm hearing these things. You know, one of the things is people say, well, we shouldn't use CRISPR. I get 12. I'm not kidding you. I can scroll through my phone here. 12 a day, at least, yeah. of people saying, I want to show you the picture of my four-year-old son. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Or my 12-year-old granddaughter. And he has this, or she has that. Can you get me in touch with Dr. Doudna? Can you help fix it? And as you say, that's heart-rending. So that's why I don't want to stop research into this, Mm because we can fix genetic diseases. Secondly, Jennifer Doudna has taken the problem that, Scott, you illustrated, which is it can cost a million dollars to fix sickle cell in the patient that got cured last year. How do you bring that cost down? There are a couple of ways of doing it. One is that you can do it in the body so it doesn't mean taking out stem cells. Mm -hmm. You know, There are ways to make this much cheaper. But the other way to do it is to do it in the sperm or the egg or the early stage embryo Hmm. so it's inheritable 
And it uh, means that you wipe out sickle cell once and for all for one quick edit, and that's cheaper. But that's a line we have to be careful about crossing, right, right. making inheritable edits. Let me ask you a question, because one of the things, you know, you and I, and, all, and also Scott has watched sort of the internet sort of morph into something pretty ugly when everyone had this hopefulness around it. And it's a, mm-hmm. you know, when you get into gene editing, it's even more like the idea. And there's been a million sci-fi movies. Like I can't, I, I, there's dozens and dozens where people do this, not just Brave New World, but, you know, so many of it. When I was a kid, there was a, not a kid, a younger, young person, <laughs> there was a play called Twilight of the Gold. If you remember, which was editing out, mm. it was terrifying to me as a gay person that you could edit out the child of mm. this couple uh, mm-hmm. who's a gene editor. Um, what do you? Um, who Jennifer talks a lot about the ethics of this because she had the issue with the Chinese doctor who was doing using the technology to um, I think it was clone. Is that correct? What was they? What were they no, doing? No, no. It was, and it's an interesting question because mm-hmm. what the Chinese doctor did was make inheritable edits in very early stage embryos to eliminate one of the receptors for HIV, mm-hmm. the virus that causes AIDS. And there was shock. There was, it was everybody was upset. You shouldn't be, that wasn't really necessary. You shouldn't right. make inheritable edits. Well, after this year of the you know, pandemic, right. the notion of doing edits that might make us less susceptible to viruses, right. you have to remind me, okay, what was wrong with that? Now, obviously it was wrong because we're not ready. It wasn't safe. He was a sloppy doctor. But if we could safely edit out receptors for certain viruses and know that we didn't have unintended consequences, it'll take a while before we can know so all that. So who gets to decide? That's the thing. I mean, the internet's sort of been run like Wild West, and you see where we are. There's nobody getting to decide any of this stuff, or it's just grown up without decision-making. So who's on the front lines of this? I know she's talked a lot about this, but who gets to pick what's, and because it's a, it's a big wide world with lots of people with money, lots of different opinions on humanity. How do you, how do you figure that out once this medicine is out into the public? Well, I think we have to have some social consensus. And by we, I mean you and me and Scott and everybody listening to this. We shouldn't just give it to the politicians or the scientists and say, you figure it out. And that's why I wrote this book, because the science isn't all that hard, but the moral Mm -hmm. issues are, and we should all have a right to chip in, whether you're in the disabled community or differently abled community or uh, you have a child with genetic disease or you don't want us messing with Mother Nature. We should all talk about this. The biggest issue, and I deal with it in the book, it's somewhat complex, but y'all have talked about this on Mm -hmm. your podcast before, is to what extent it should be regulated by government and society as a whole, Mm -hmm. and to what extent should it be individual choice. Right. And on a lot of reproductive decisions, of course, we like leaving it to individual choice. That's what we do in Mm -hmm. a free market system. But if you left everything about gene editing to individual choice, you would have this problem of editing out the diversity. You would have this problem of the rich buying better genes. And so maybe it's like vaccine distribution. Some people will buy their way to the head of the queue, but not many people actually did because we had a social consensus of here's how we're going to distribute uh, this new vaccine. And I think we need to develop that with CRISPR as well. But who? Like... 
Yeah, I think it'll, I mean, we already have two groups working on it. Jennifer has gathered all mm-hmm. what I call the National Academies, which is the Chinese Academy. There's a character in my book named Dong Ching Pei who's been working on it. And they've put the doctor who did that early stage embryo editing into jail because mm-hmm. they decided it was a violation. Mm-hmm. The Royal Academy in Britain, Europe, the United States, uh, National Academy of Sciences, and Jennifer and David Baltimore and other people you know, uh, Peggy Hamburg are part of that process. The WHO is doing a parallel process, and we do have to try to get, but it's like basically the regulatory agencies. It's not that hard, mm-hmm. like the FDA. You know, people can get off-label drugs or do treatments the sure. FDA hasn't approved, but not much. I mean, yeah. most people don't, and if we get a consensus of the FDAs around the world, we can keep this genie or this know. gene in the bottle to this some extent. This is a different kind of genie, Scott. Yeah, my question is more, I'm, I'm interested to get into the head of Walter Isaacson. I read uh, Andrew Roberts' biography of Churchill, and I had the same feeling when I finished that book than when I finished one of your books, and that is, you know, you know these people. <laughs> and, and, and more than anyone maybe who's alive today, you know better the most successful people or the most impactful people in the, in the history of our society. And so my, my question to you would be, of all of these people that you know really well, uh, a, a few questions. One, who in your view was the most self-actualized or led the most rewarding life, just personally? Mm-hmm. Who was the most tortured? And then my third, and I'll repeat them uh, again if you need, is if you decided, and I'm not saying this is the right decision, but if you decided you wanted to raise young men and young women that might have a chance to have that kind of impact on the world, do you see any commonalities in terms of how Mm. they were raised or their upbringing? So let's start with happiest, most tortured, and then any any insights as a parent. Well, when it comes to most uh, happy and uh, driven you also get the most tortured because right. he's one of the great uh, people with it contains multitudes, and that was Steve Jobs. Right. I mean, he really was self-actualized. He really invented himself, had, as Cara and I have talked about many times, a reality distortion field that sometimes worked. Mm-hmm. But he was also had a lot of demons that caused him to be a pretty rough character. Jennifer is a much more happy person, but she too has insecurities that come from being a young woman told girls don't do science and being an outsider uh, in Hilo, Hawaii, where everybody else was Polynesian. So I think most of the people in my books have some extent been outsiders, especially, you know, Leonardo being Mm -hmm. born out of wedlock, gay, Mm -hmm. you know, left-handed and having to go to Florence where he gets accepted, but he keeps asking, how do we fit in? And Jennifer's always asking, how do I fit in? Mm -hmm. And Steve Jobs always asking as an adopted child in this weird environment, how do I fit into the cosmos? The other thing that they share is this amazing curiosity that's a basic curiosity. I call it the tongue of the woodpecker because what? Leonardo wrote one day in the tongue of the margin woodpecker. of his notebook. That's a good one. <laughs> he wrote in the margin of his notebook and the 10 things he wanted to know that day, describe the tongue of the woodpecker. Now, how do you, do, I mean, you have to get a woodpecker, open his mouth. I mean, who, but he was just basic curiosity hmm. on that. And he writes, why is the sky blue? And I realized Einstein had that in his notebook. Jennifer uh, thought about that as a child. I'm looking outside these windows. I see a blue sky. 
I've outgrown my wonder years. I quit asking so many stupid questions mm-hmm. as grown-ups would tell me, don't ask them. But they all refrain from outgrowing their wonder years. And they not only have a passionate curiosity about basic things like blue skies, why water swirls when it passes a rock, they also have a curiosity about all aspects of nature. They're able to see patterns that ripple across nature. Hmm. As you know, as Steve Jobs, he loved calligraphy and dance and music and theater when he's at Reed College, but also coding. And he's the one who, and Kara's been to so many of those, when he launched a product, the last slide was always that intersection of two streets, mm-hmm. the liberal arts and technology. Well, Leonardo's Vitruvian Man is that exact same intersection. He's standing there naked, self-portrait in the science and the humanities of our cosmos. So people who see patterns across nature because of their curiosity tend to be the most creative. Hmm. Oh, that's great. That's a fantastic answer. I'm going to ask one more question about Jennifer herself. When you're when you're thinking about uh, of, of a character like Jennifer Dona, who won the uh, Nobel Prize this year, my funniest encounter was hers. She said, I didn't get to have a ceremony. And then I said, well, you get one next year. And she goes, no, we don't. We don't get any, you know, go to Sweden and do the whole thing. But one of the things is, what is she focused in on now? Is it is it is it pandemic stuff? Because we talked a little bit about it. So how, looking out at what's happened over the last year, Year. We've been taken down, digital and advanced as we are. We're editing genes, this and that. We've been taken down by a virus, essentially, just like that, because we're so physical. But what what is her outlook on that? All right. Almost the, exactly a year ago, early mm-hmm. March of last year, she sent uh, her son, her, uh, Andy, mm-hmm. uh, to Fresno by train to be in one of Dean Kamen's, you know him, yep. uh, first robotics, robot building competition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at 2 a.m., Jennifer wakes up, nudges her husband, Jamie, and says, we got to go pick up Andy, you know, because this pandemic seems to be spreading. They're closing the book. So Andy's an only child. So when they arrive, you can imagine he's not happy. Mm-hmm. But they convince him to come along. And just as they're leaving the parking lot, they get a text saying, robot competition canceled. And so Jennifer, when she gets back to Berkeley at about 7 Mm a.m., summons scientists, 50 of them, to meeting as partly in person, partly by Zoom, to say, how are we going to pivot and repurpose what we're doing to fight the coronavirus? Mm -hmm. So for the past year, she's been using CRISPR to make home detection kits, which Mm -hmm. you'll get in a few months. They'll Mm -hmm. be, they've been emergency authorized, but not yet manufactured. Well, you can just, like a pregnancy test, have saliva, put it in the machine. Do I have COVID? Do I have, my kid have strep throat? Is that tumor resurfacing? Mm -hmm. Uh, People, it'll be like Steve Jobs' iPhone. It'll be a platform that people will build their own apps on. so many platforms off of this pandemic. Yeah, and the platform will be to say, I can use this machine to study your gut microbiome, to see Mm -hmm. if you're eating the wrong yogurt or Mm -hmm. something. So this will bring biology into our homes the way the first personal computers in the 1970s Hmm. brought microchips into our home. And so she's working on these uh, home detection tools. She's working on a very advanced way of looking at just using CRISPR to kill viruses rather than Mm -hmm. stimulate our immune system. And she's working on testing technologies. She's also doing what Scott asked about, which is, all right, we've used CRISPR to cure sickle cell. It costs more than a million dollars. How do we get it down to at least you know ten thousand dollars 
or maybe insurance companies and Medicare can and Medicaid can afford it. Scott, last question. So you have you're limited to one more person you can do a biography on. Who oh, would it be? good one. Well, I'm going to have to consult with you all. I actually, you know, if I don't go back in the Wayback Machine, there are three or four people around today mm-hmm. that have that curiosity across disciplines. Obviously, Bezos is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk is interesting, but perhaps we're still in the middle of the story. I want to see how mm-hmm. uh, we're old enough to know, you know, how this movie ends. What's the next reel of this movie? Mm-hmm. I am deeply fascinated by Bill Gates and mm-hmm. somebody I admire and in some ways has been a subject of controversies that are unfair. Mm-hmm. But he has that interest across so many different fields. He bought Leonardo's scientific notebook, which is the Codex Lester, because, you know, he, he, uh, you know, understands the beauty of Leonardo being interested in things. So with Bill Gates, whether it's climate change or vaccines, but also uh, creating uh, personal computers, being one of the people who did it, but now doing nuclear energy, it gives me a chance to look at many different things. I haven't decided yet, so and I've probably three. gone too far. I got another one, Dolly Parton. <laughs> Just, you I know what? It's, it's a joke, but it's man, not a joke. It's I'm not a joke. Her songs Singer, now. songwriter, I, donate, fascinating. We missed person. Mardi Gras here yeah. because it was closed down. Yeah. So instead of having floats, people decorated their homes uh-huh. as floats and people drove by them. And my favorite on St. Charles Avenue was a shrine flo- home float to Dolly Parton Send me photos. with all of her you know music her. and a big, big picture of her and yeah. the vaccine she had helped to fund. Dolly Parton. You know, it shows that the human species, even in times of a pandemic crisis, yeah. can rise to this I challenge. I find Dolly Parton riveting as a creator and, you know, you know the best-selling songs yeah, of sure all time. I'm sure she feels she's, the same of you. No, I doubt it. I don't know if she knows who I am, but <laughs> best-selling songs of all time. People don't realize. Ri- hmm. Writing. Really? Yes. Like? I will always really? love you. Yeah. Well, she's, that's why she's song. so rich to be able to give uh, all that money to Moderna. Scott, any last questions? You, you don't know you, which one of those? What do you think of those three? Are uh, you asking me? Yeah. Which oh, of those hands three down, Bill Gates. Not Dolly Parton. Hands, which one? hands down, Bill Gates. Hands yeah. down. All right, Scott. Hands down. That means that if I do this, you will have me back. Okay. He is so good, isn't he? He is <laughs> and such I will a charmer. Put you in the oh my god! Yeah, he's such a charmer. Okay. All right. Yeah. All I, right. I truly agree with you. I just think Older. you can get into anything. Climate change. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, yep, you yep, get yeah. into anything. Yeah, and Musk him. isn't over. Could we could be in for the Howard Hughes portion of this? Uh, of this, you know, Howard Hughes was this brilliant. Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes. No, I'm not going to do Howard Hughes. I'm I'd rather there's, do Dolly there's, Parton. There's one <laughs> moment. And definitely, definitely Bill Gates. Right, I'm glad okay. we've yeah, reached that consensus. 100%. Eventually, Musk will be the 100%. one. But don't tell anybody right, because I, I have Good. to Nobody's, make sure I tell my agent. Secret is safe with us. Secret is safe. Good. All right, Walter, thank you so much. We will be down in New Orleans as soon as we can. New Orleans. Love it. What? Love it. All right. Thanks, Walter. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, Scott, one more quick break. That was so amazing. We'll be back for Wins and Fails. Okay, Scott, Wins and Fails. And try to be as intelligent as Walter Isaacson if you can. Uh, that would be impossible. And plus, yeah. that guy is so charming. Isn't he He's charming? charming? He's oh a charmer. gosh. Mm-hmm. Charming guy. They were saying he was going to run for Louisiana mayor of New Orleans, but, I, but he didn't. That's got to be an awful job. He's way 100%. too smart for that. 
anyway. Way too smart. Yes. Uh, so my win is there's a consortium of CEOs getting together under uh, with direction or shepherding from Jeffrey Sonnenfeld, who I think is becoming mm-hmm. the most influential academic in the world. Agreed. To talk about to talk about actions they can take uh, or to at least uh, create maintain in the news cycle these ridiculous mm-hmm. voter suppression laws in Georgia, and I think it's really a, a you know, everyone talks about companies shouldn't be politicized, but I think these are Ken Frazier and Ken Chenal who yep. reek of integrity, have a, a, a vested interest, and are have decided they want to use their blessings and their hard work and their success to ensure that the people behind them have uh, an easier time than they did uh, getting to the top of corporate, you know, corporate America. And I think it's a really one. It's just a wonderful thing. It's a win. These these guys. Mm-hmm. It represents risk for them. It represents damage to shareholder value in some ways. It, mm-hmm. it would be easier for them just to not do this stuff. It's not easy to coordinate a bunch of CEOs and get on the same page as everything. Yeah. And Georgia has has managed to unify competitors uh, yep. and get it's them on the, get them on a call. I, so, I'm fascinated. The Republican Party is giving up. This group of people is going to do what they want to, and they are not going to list the Mitch McConnell statement about don't get into politics, like. Screw you, Mitch. Like in terms of that, I think you're right. I think you're right. All right, what's your uh, fail? Uh, well, I just uh, there's something around the 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 brain. I think once it hits fifty, I don't know about you. I think I understand cryptocurrencies better than ninety nine percent of the mm-hmm. public, and I don't understand cryptocurrencies. Mm, that's about right. And I think that basically bank CEOs have so badly missed. Um, crypto and Coinbase is supposed to go public on Wednesday. I think it's it's a direct listing. We will but, talk about that Thursday. I think uh, it's a direct listing, uh, which means it's they try and pair the the demand by coming out at a first mm-hmm. trade that better better calibrates the actual demand. Regardless, I think the stock goes up. I think it's a monster, and I think a decent question in the boardrooms of Credit Suisse or UBS or or JP Morgan or Bamel or Goldman mm-hmm. Sachs is. How the fuck did we let Coinbase happen? I mean, yep. Coinbase is basically yeah. A, yeah. A, a, an exchange and a trading desk of indeed. a financial asset that on the day of the IPO is going to be worth more than Goldman Sachs. Yep. And these banks, granted, they're hamstrung in terms of they're hamstrung in you know, terms of- You know, they poo-pooed it. I was around, they, remember? They, yeah, because they, they don't understand it. it. Years ago, I kept I did saying, the same thing. So I'm like, it's going to zero, which is Latin yeah. for me saying, I don't want to put in the time to understand it. Yep, I agree. I and agree. I'm glad finally, you've come to that conclusion. As an aggrieved white male. Um, I'm just, well. But uh, anyways, my loss is, I think the the bank CEOs and boards yeah, have to ask themselves some questions that this is now a $2 trillion asset class. And people want to trade in it. And now we have Stripe, PayPal, and, and there will Coinbase. Be transactions in it. There will be transactions. Are all are all worth more than the traditional banks. Yep. And so if you're on the board of one of these companies, you're like, okay, you know, what the actual fuck? Isn't this the business we're in? Do you know what? Aggrieved person, I agree with you. <laughs> I'm gonna do very two quick wins and fails. Good. Wins. I think the prosecution in the um in the trial, in the uh, uh, Derek Chauvin trial, Derek really Chauvin is what trial. it is. Yeah. Um, I think he's doing a great job. Great job. They could just have not done as good a job. I think they're doing an excellent job making sure it will be very hard for this jury not to convict. Um, I know this has been a history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know this could happen again and again, and it keeps happening again where cops get off uh, on, for egregious behavior. Um, but I, I just, I'm pretty, imp- I've been watching a lot of it. And I'm very impressed. Well, the by blue wall has been breached here. Cops generally yeah. have a, a fraternal yeah. order of not, not speaking ill of each other. And they've all said, 
that yeah. what happened here the, was the prosecution's very sharp. I yeah. just I've been watching them, and I and I don't do and and not as other good one. as Marsha Clark. Remember her? <laughs> oh, God. I love that they got bonuses, and then someone said, other than letting a murderer off scot free, what did you decide <laughs> yeah. they should get bonuses yeah. for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was a case. Um, and, then and then she my, went on. Um, then she went on like Inside Hollywood or something. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh gosh, that's my win. Uh, and and alternately, the fail is this this thing this weekend that got that got so much play the What's viral that? video uh, of the officer um, shooting the yeah. uh, pepper spraying the black army officer who was in the car. Just he was trying to get out safely of the car, um, and this officer just escalated beyond belief. What could have been a very simple stop, it shouldn't have been a stop in the first place. It was a new car, but it, the video itself was so astonishing. The kind of behavior, the aggressive behavior by the cop that was. It cannot be explained away by you. You don't understand what it's like. I, it was really, um, it was really eye-opening. This officer's been fired. Virginia's looking into it. But I thought this guy, this uh, this lieutenant, handled himself in a very what would have been a dangerous situation for him beautifully, and and really was uh, was was calm, cool, mm-hmm. trying his hardest to to de-escalate, and the cop was just just problematic on every level. Thank you. There you go. There you go. So two cop things. Um, so uh, so anyway, so we have a lot to come. With, there's a lot going on this week. There's going to be a lot about the pandemic. I just I just did a great interview with uh, Dr. Michelle Williams, who runs Harvard's Chan School, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about opening uh, opening the country up because the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell says the U.S. Mm-hmm. economy is about to start growing much more quickly. But he also said that he's worried, and the outlook has brightened substantially. But at the same time, he warned against reopening the economy too soon amid a new spike in cases. So maybe we'll talk about that on Thursday, mm-hmm. how we're going to open. Um, as you know, I had my, I don't know if you read my Twitter feed, but I had my first giant lesbian outdoor dinner party and we were all so excited to see each other again. Thank you. Yeah, that sounded, uh, you called it saucy. <laughs> it was saucy. Yeah. <laughs> we hadn't seen each other in like a year. It was great. We were all vaccinated and we still did it outside, but it was really, it was- I feel uh, triggered. I don't like to identify social events by their sexuality. Well, it was sexual lesbians. orientation. Okay, fine. I think that's, and you want to do a panel called aggrieved white men. Okay, great. Okay, Scott. <laughs> I'm not aggrieved white heterosexual men. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and in fact, that's who it is. Indeed. Which is all redundant. That exactly. is all redundant. All right, Scott, that's the show. We'll be back Friday for more. We will. Uh, go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit your question. The Pivot Podcast the link is also in the show notes. And please read Scott's excellent cover story that's right. in New York Magazine. Nick Nolte. Volatility. Sexiest man alive, 1997. Volatility, Scott, read us out. Today's show was produced by Rebecca Sinanis. Ernie Entertot engineered this episode. Thanks also to Hannah Rosen and Drew Burrows. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you liked our show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media, the home of Preet Bharara. Bharara? Bharara? You know, we should have him on. We should have in, him on with Brett Favre. Brett Favre and Preet Bharara. I don't right, even know how to right. say that. By scared? the way, he and I, come back, check out the friendship that is going to develop between the dog and Preet. Check First it out. need to learn how to pronounce his name. We'll see you Friday. Right. Have a great week, Carol. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. 
Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 